Today on Legal Leads, we are going to be discussing a recent appearance that Joe Biden made at a breakfast put on by the National Action Network, uh, put on by notable racist Al Sharpton, and we are going to be talking about all the ways Joe Biden doesn't understand the Second Amendment or the Constitution or guns. Hey, greetings. Welcome, everyone, back to Legalese. Uh, I am your host, Bob. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Uh, and if you happen to be new to this podcast, let me uh, extend a special welcome to you. Uh, this is a podcast where we're going to be discussing really all things constitutional law, as well as other topics and current events related to law, politics, and culture. Uh, now, just real quick, I want to let you guys know that you can find this show on a number of platforms and formats. Uh, I like the video version, I think is the best one, which you can find on YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey. Uh, also, there is an audio-only version over on Anchor and Spotify. Uh, and if you go over to uh, Substack, you can find not only the show there, you can find a lot of uh, articles that I've written uh, in the past about issues of constitutional law related, things like that. Uh, and... That's also kind of becoming the uh, unofficial uh, show notes page for Legalese as well. So it may be worth going and checking it out there. Uh, so when I have uh, uh, legal briefs or, or, or things like that that I share on the show, they'll be posted up over there on Substack. And if you want to, uh, you can go uh, maybe check out my new book. Uh, it's now available on Amazon. It's called Constitutional Sleight of Hand. It is about the history of the implied powers doctrine and how to return to a uh, truly uh, constitutional standard regarding the implied powers doctrine. So links to all of those things are down in the video description. So there is one topic that uh, Joe, are your parents home? Hey there, sweetie. How old are you? Sixteen. Eighteen? You're first. Mom! I like where this is going. Giggity, giggity, giggity. Biden has always been very clear and outspoken on, uh, and when I say uh, clear, I mean as in a lack of ambiguity in his sentiments, not clear as in logical statements constructed with concise grammar, syntax, and vocabulary. But... This is his outspoken assertion that the only thing more evil and bad and scary than guns is gun owners. He loves to mock gun owners and fearmonger with ridiculous claims about what guns are capable of doing, so he can sell you on how the best way to drastically reduce the overall number of violent crimes that happen to be perpetrated by people with firearms is his, uh, what he would love to call, common sense gun control measures. But just how common sense are they? Now. The thing is, for someone who loves to talk to people as much as possible uh, about guns, he has surprisingly little to say. His anti-gun sophistry can really be narrowed down to nothing more than a handful of talking points. So uh, I want to share with you here uh, the remarks I particularly we're going to be looking at today. These are uh, his, what he had to say about gun control when he spoke at the National Action Network. And I'll say what I said then, I'll say it over and over again. I am going to get assault weapons banned. I did it once, I'm going to do it again. There's no social redeeming value 
Deer aren't wearing Kevlar vests out there. What the hell you need a assault? No, I'm serious. And ban the number of bullets and go in a magazine. There's no, no need for any of that. I love my right-wing friends who talk about the tree of liberty as water with the blood of patriots. Give me a, if you need to work about taking on the federal government, you need some F-15s. You don't need an AR-15. I'm serious. Think about it. Think about the rationale for this. It's about money. Money, money, money. All right, well, we are going to be uh, taking on those claims one at a time to see how well they hold up to scrutiny. So one of his favorite talking points is, of course, his fear-mongering about so-called assault weapons, which really what they actually are are nothing more than a modern sporting rifle. However, Joe Biden believes that these are weapons of war that only belong on a battlefield, that there is no legit reason why a private person would ever need to own one of these guns because he says they are so poorly suited to uh, personal defense in a civilian context because they are just so powerful. They are a weapon of war, which is probably why the Department of Homeland Security literally designates AR-15 style rifles, as you can see right here, as personal defense weapons. Okay, so this was just his first point, and this doesn't check out, like, at all. But he's got plenty of other reasons. I'm sure some of them will be perfectly reasonable. Let's keep going. Now, what Joe Biden may be talking about when he says that no one needs an AR-15 because deer aren't running around in the forest wearing Kevlar vests. Not a joke. Not a joke. May come from a belief that the gun's name refers to its well-known reputation for being 15 times more deadlier than every other kind of rifle combined. And for every one deer who can be killed by a more traditional hunting rifle, the AR-15 will kill 15 deer. Or perhaps I just made that explanation up because in truth, there's absolutely no logical explanation for Joe Biden's quip about deer in Kevlar vests. Now, of course, the implicit meaning of the statement here is that Joe Biden is saying that the AR-15 is so much more powerful than the types of rifles and ammunition that are traditionally seen as well suited to hunting and sporting purposes that the AR-15's power is indefensibly excessive. So is there any truth to that implicit claim, or is this argument pure sophistry? Now, the great thing about this is this claim can be tested very concretely by utilizing ballistics. And I'm sure Joe Biden has already gone and checked the figures himself, and that his claim about AR-15s being way too powerful for deer hunting will absolutely, totally stand up to scrutiny and scientific rigor. So, to assess how powerful and destructive a uh, particular kind of ammunition is uh, can actually be fairly easily and accurately measured by what is uh, colloquially known as stopping power. And while admittedly the related fields of internal ballistics, external ballistics, and terminal ballistics are complex and comprehensive 
you can actually get a very good picture of stopping power by knowing a bullet's caliber, the bullet's weight, which is measured in grains, and the bullet's velocity, measured in feet per second. And the energy that a bullet transfers is most commonly uh, measured in what is known as foot-pounds of force. So for those who don't know, the AR-15-style uh, rifles use what is known as a 223 Remington rifle cartridge. And we will be comparing these cartridges with two of the all-time most popular rounds for hunting and sporting purposes, the 308 Winchester and the 30-06 Springfield. Now, Joe Biden's point here is pretty much that those uh, calibers and those guns were good enough for our parents and therefore, not a joke, should be good enough for us. So let's look at just how much scarier and deadlier and more evil and way too powerful the standard AR-15 ammunition is compared to those traditional rifle rounds. So the 223 Remington cartridge that is standard for AR-15 style rifles has a bullet diameter of 0.224 inches. Most commercially available 223 ammunition for sporting purposes has a weight of 62 grains and a muzzle velocity of around uh, 2,750 feet per second. And it has a muzzle energy of about 1,200 foot-pounds of energy. Now, the 308 Winchester, which is by far is and has been the most popular round for hunting white-tailed deer. And uh, this, yeah, this has been the caliber of choice for deer hunters for decades. Now, this bullet caliber uh, has a caliber of 0.308 inches. And the 308 ammunition for sporting use tend to have about a 175 grain weight and a muzzle velocity of 2,700 feet per second, which has a muzzle energy of 2,600 foot-pounds of force. And finally, the 30-06 Springfield. Now, the 30 refers to the caliber because it is a 0.30-inch bullet. The 6 actually refers to the year the cartridge was adopted. These cartridges were first created in 1906. And commercially available 30 6 rounds for sporting use tend to have a 180-grain weight with a muzzle velocity of around 2,900 feet per second with a muzzle energy of 3,179 foot-pounds of force. Now, all three of these rounds differ greatly from each other in their size and power, uh, which becomes uh, all the more obvious when we look at these cartridges uh, side by side and we can see their differences more clearly. Now, here you can see the uh, round on the left is the 223. Now, that is the round that is used by an AR 15. Uh, the one in the middle is the second largest, obviously, and that is the 308 Winchester. And on the right, we have the 30-06 Springfield. Now, rifle rounds are differentiated into three different categories based on caliber and energy of the bullet. There are small arms cartridges, intermediate cartridges, and full power cartridges. Now, what's interesting is that these three very popular hunting rounds, each one of them falls into one of those categories, with the 223 ammunition classified as a small arms cartridge. Now the 308 is an intermediate cartridge, and the 30-06 is a full power cartridge, 
But what do these classifications mean, practically speaking? Here, if we look at this chart, this is a list of all commonly used rounds uh, available for hunting. And this chart is, it, it's a common list of all available rounds uh, for hunting sporting purposes. And uh, what you can see is uh, at the bottom, there are a couple arrows. Now, the 223 round is labeled with a white arrow. As you can see, that falls clearly into the small arms round that are considered varmint grade, which means that those particular rounds, the ones that are used in an AR-15, are considered most suitable for hunting small game like rabbits. Well, what do you know? No more bullets. No more bullets? Hey, laughing boy. No more bullets. No more bullets? Here, let me see that thing. Hmm. Well, what do you know? One bullet left. One bullet left? Hey, laughing boy. There was... I know, I know! While the 308 is most suited to deer, sheep, and elk hunting, and the 30-06 is suitable for deer, elk, and larger game such as moose. And you can find those rounds uh, designated with the orange arrow for the 308 Winchester and the red arrow for the 30-06 Springfield on the bottom of the picture there. Now, the 223, the round for the AR-15, is becoming an increasingly popular round for hunting white-tailed deer. However, while some states do allow a 223 uh, bullet for deer hunting, many do not. And now, of course, if you were to just listen to Joe Biden, you may very well assume that's because these rounds are just too powerful to hunt deer, and there's just no reason to ever need to use them to take down a deer. They're too much. It's excessive. Except the thing is, all these states that have these laws in place, Colorado, Iowa, Virginia, several others, require at least an intermediate level cartridge to hunt deer. Now, if you remember, intermediate cartridge is what a 308 Winchester is. Now, the reason is because they believe the 223 is not powerful enough for hunting deer and is thus considered inhumane and unethical to use. Now, broadly speaking, and I will admit that I don't know a whole lot about hunting, but from my understanding here, uh, is that to take down a deer uh, ethically, uh, a round should have at least uh, 1,000 foot-pounds of force. Uh, that's kind of often considered to be uh, the bare minimum for a uh, ethical uh, hunting of a game like deer. Now, most... 223 cartridges, as we just mentioned before, designed for hunting purposes, will have around 1,200 foot-pounds of force uh, when fired from a folding rifle barrel. So uh, this is essentially the 223 is just enough to take down a white-tailed deer uh, ethically, but just barely. So here, uh, by comparison, what we can see is uh, the smallest round, which is the, the 223 Remington, which is the round the AR-15 uses, uh, which has uh, 1,200 foot-pounds of force. Uh, by comparison, 
the 175 grain cartridge for a 308 caliber rifle. And bear in mind, this is the most popular round uh, and has been for decades for deer hunting. This will deliver over 2,600 foot pounds of force. That means it's more than double the energy of the 223 utilized by an AR 15, while the full power 30 odd 6 cartridge will have at least 3,179 foot-pounds of force, which makes that round about three times more powerful than the AR-15's 2.23. And if you'll remember from the chart, uh, the 30-06 uh, is considered a, a valid round uh, to use for deer hunting. Uh, so, yeah. I guess really, again, it appears as though uh, Joe Biden's claim that the AR-15 is overkill when used against deer who are not wearing Kevlar vests, uh, is uh, empirically, scientifically false. But surely one of these talking points must be valid. We're just going to have to keep looking for which one it is, aren't we? Now, while you can't be certain about what Joe Biden meant when he said, we banned the number of bullets to go into the magazine, I'm pretty sure what he is talking about here is the scourge of ghost guns. Now, these are, of course, the notorious guns that have a 30 caliber clip to disperse with 30 bullets in half a second. This is a ghost gun. This right here has ability with a 30 caliber clip to disperse with 30 bullets within half a second. You heard me. 30 magazine clip in half a second. 30 magazine clip in half a second. Now, these guns are so evil and scary that just holding an AR-15 can be a traumatic, life-altering experience. Especially when you consider these 30 magazine clips hold the 50 caliber bullets that should require a license for someone to own and use while also being entirely illegal for any person to own or use ever. Right, Sheila? Uh, my bill that I've introduced dealing with, with the caliber weapon, I've held an AR-15 in my hand. I wish I had it. And, uh, and the bullet that is utilized, a 50 caliber, these kinds of bullets uh, need to be licensed and do not need to be on the streets. Now, just look at what a single bullet from an AR-15 with a 30 magazine clip can do to a person's head. This is the 50 caliber round commonly used in AR-15s. Let's go ahead and load it in through the 30 clip magazine. 30 magazine clip. Now this gun is ready to blow the head right off of a target, decapitating them instantly. Let's see this weapon of war in action. Trigger warning. This is really scary. In fact, just look at the kind of damage that something like a 9mm full semi-auto assault pistol can do to a person's body. This is a 9mm handgun. Though I measured it, and it's actually much bigger than that. This is one of the most powerful, fully semi-automatic, clip-loading assault firearms on the planet. Let's take this to the range and see what it does to a human being. A 9 millimeter bullet 
blows the lung out of the body. As you can see, his lung was blown right out of his body. And he's a dummy. He didn't even have lung. Terrifying. This so, next we need to take down the belief that the Second Amendment is not absolute or unlimited. So, the next point, uh, the one that he brought up during that speech, uh, of course, is that the Second Amendment is not an absolute right or an unlimited right. Though, he didn't mention this at the Community Action Network speech we just watched. Uh, one thing that Joe Biden often loves to punctuate this point with is by pointing out that at the time the Second Amendment was drafted, you couldn't buy a cannon. Second Amendment is not absolute. When it was passed, you couldn't own a you couldn't own a cannon. You couldn't own certain kinds of weapons. It's just always been limitations. Now, in past videos, uh, I and countless other constitutional scholars, as well as gun rights advocates, have gone to great lengths to demonstrate how text, history, and tradition all support. Uh, the fact that this is indeed an absolute, unlimited individual right. Uh, I just want to kind of maybe go through a few quick examples here, uh, some of my favorites. Uh, so, for example, uh, when we look to history and tradition to back up the Second Amendment's textual interpretation as absolute and unlimited, uh, I think Richard Henry Lee makes a very good point in a uh, 1787 uh, article that he wrote. And here he said, It is essential that the whole body of the people always possess arms and be taught alike how to use them because the mind that aims at a select militia must be influenced by a truly anti-Republican principle. Now, Thomas Jefferson often said that he saw the foundation of the Constitution as laid upon the ground that all powers which are not expressly delegated to the federal government by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states or the people, respectively. Now, many of you listening will probably recognize that that is almost a word-for-word -word, uh, quotation of the Tenth Amendment that Jefferson is using here. Now, one might conclude, based on Thomas Jefferson's point here, that because no one has ever found any provision anywhere in the Constitution that could possibly be uh, interpreted as empowering the government to disarm the people or any of them or limit the type of weapons that they may have. That Jefferson's statement must be extrapolated to say that the government has no power to take any type of arms from any citizen for any reason. Which again seems fairly absolute to me. Now, one uh, source that I don't think I've ever used uh, on the show here before, so I think you guys may find this interesting if you're a longtime viewer, uh, is an 1829 article by William Rawl uh, entitled A View of the Constitution. And the thing about this article is that he really uh, very explicitly confirms everything that Jefferson was saying and the implicit interpretation to Jefferson's words that I just gave, he completely backs that interpretation up. And bear in mind, this essay was published in 1829. However, William Rawl was indeed a founder. Uh, he was 
uh, among the people who uh, gave legal force to the Constitution through the ratifications. And he was George Washington's first attorney general. So this guy is legit. Many people may not have heard of him, but yeah, this guy was a big deal. Just unfortunately, underknown nowadays. So Rawl says the corollary from the first position is that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. He says the prohibition is general. No clause in the Constitution could, by any rule of construction, be conceived to give Congress a power to disarm the people. Such a flagitious attempt could only be made under some general pretense by a state legislature, but if in any blind pursuit of inordinate power, either should attempt it, this amendment must be appealed to as a restraint on both. He goes on to point out that uh, in most of the countries of Europe, this right, while not seeming to be denied, is allowed more or less sparingly and according to circumstances. He says, in England, a country which boasts so much of its freedom, the right was secured to Protestant subjects only uh, on the revolution of 1688, the Glorious Revolution. And he notes that it is cautiously described as being that of bearing arms for their defense, suitable to their conditions, and as allowed by law. He says that it is an arbitrary code for the preservation of game in that country that has long disgraced them because a very small proportion of the people being permitted to kill it, though for their own substance, a gun or other instrument used for that purpose by an unqualified person may be seized and forfeited. And he closes by appealing to uh, the great jurist William Blackstone. And he says, Blackstone, in whom we regret that we cannot always trace the expanded principles of rational liberty, observes, however, on this subject, that the prevention of popular insurrection and resistance to government by disarming the people is oftener meant than avowed by the ma makers of forest and game laws. So, not only does William Rawls' interpretation of the Second Amendment seem to come across very clearly from his words as both absolute and unlimited in the Second Amendment, he even contrasts and compares our absolute and unlimited right of Americans with a, an example of a limited and conditional right to arms that can be found elsewhere, such as the one he quotes from the English Bill of Rights of 1689. He is giving us a direct comparison saying, this is why ours is absolute and unlimited, and this is what it would look like if it wasn't. Now, the next one we're going to be looking at here real quick is Noah Webster. And he said, the supreme power in America cannot enforce unjust laws by the sword because the whole body of the people are armed, which sounds fairly absolute and unlimited. Now, one of the most well-known and influential critiques of the Constitution came from an article uh, published by uh, a group calling themselves the Descent of the Minority, 
Now, what this was was a document drafted by Samuel, Samuel Bryant and signed by 21 of the 23 Anti-Federalists in the Pennsylvania Ratifying Convention that opposed the ratification of the Constitution without the addition of two broad amendments, one of those being a Declaration of Rights. Now, in here, uh, they offer their own suggestion for what a proper right to keep and bear arms would look like to them in a Bill of Rights. They say that the people have a right to bear arms for the defense of themselves and their own state or the United States or for the purpose of killing game and no law shall be passed for disarming the people or any of them. Again, sounds pretty absolute to me. So how about Tench Cox, who is really the most prolific of all the founders when it comes to discussing what the right to keep and bear arms meant? Now, Cox explicitly says the right to keep and bear arms is literally an unlimited right. Cox says, quote, the unlimited power of the sword is not in the hands of either the federal or state governments, but where I trust in God, it will always remain in the hands of the people. But what of canons? Now, the only issue with this is that neither Joe Biden nor anyone else who has ever made this claim has ever offered any kind of citation or source of what the supposed law was or what it looked like that was banning the ownership of cannons. And in fact, uh, many people, including myself, have actively gone searching for this law uh, and cannot find anything even close to it. Now, while a lot of people have addressed this uh, issue from that point of view, that there is no law banning cannons, uh, there are several additional pieces of uh, evidence that I came across only fairly recently myself. These are things that I have never heard anyone else offer up when debunking this particular claim. And I think what I have is far more devastating to Joe Biden's dishonest claims than uh, simply citing that there is a lack of any law that verifies his canon ban claim. So, I recently found a law passed by the founders in the fifth session of Congress uh, that actually mandates citizens must own cannons. Now, this is going to require a little context. So, following the French Revolution, as Napoleon took power, Britain and France went to war. Now, America remained neutral and did its best to keep open trade relationships uh, with a number of nations, including both Britain and France. Now, on several occasions in the 1790s and early 1800s, when France would find itself at war with Britain... Anytime a French ship would spot a private American vessel at sea who was traveling uh, to Britain, 
or, or Russia or any other country that was in uh, engaged in war with France at that given time. And bear in mind here, I mean, private American merchant vessels sailing to these countries to engage in commerce only. What would happen is France would attack and sink these ships to deny the British the supplies that they needed and wanted from America. So in 1798, uh, things got so bad that a law was passed uh, that John Adams, who was president at the time, had requested the Congress to pass. And this is the citation for that law. And as you can see, uh, this law was called an act to authorize the defense of merchant vessels of the United States against French depredations. Now, what this law said was because America's naval vessels were too weak and we simply didn't have enough of them to be able to assist in defending private merchant ships on the high seas, that the Adams administration wanted to require private merchant vessels from America to be fully armed enough that they would be capable of defending themselves uh, at sea against an attack by the French Navy. Now, in 1798, this, the only thing this could have really meant was you need to have a shit ton of cannons. So, not only could private citizens own cannons, in certain instances, the government forced private citizens to keep and bear cannons. So, once again... Joe Biden has proved empirically wrong. Not a joke. Not a joke. That is not a joke. So how about Joe Biden's claim that people who defend gun rights constantly go about zealously talking about how, uh, as he says, quote, the tree of liberty is watered with the blood of patriots and tyrants. Now, this is a ridiculous straw man because no one brings up this quote all the time except Joe Biden. Now, this is my own personal take, and this is opinion, not fact. I will admit that right here uh, is that the reason he does this and why he has settled on putting this particular quote into other people's mouths is because Joe Biden, as part of his really drastic inferiority complex over his inability to ever properly repeat quotes from Thomas Jefferson— back up on its feet and once again fight for the proposition that we hold these truths to be self-evident. Sounds corny. Not a joke. Think about it. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go, you know the you know the thing. You know how we talk about it. Are we the people? Folks, endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. We've I dare you to make less sense has become so vindictive that he takes his anger out on people by accusing them of quoting Thomas Jefferson and then acting like that makes them some kind of unhinged, gun-toting lunatic. Not a joke. It's not a joke. I'm not joking about this. Not a joke! And this feeds into his next talking point because when he puts this quote on other people, what he is doing is saying that anyone who defends the Second Amendment is some kind of gun-toting dick who gets excited, possibly even sexually aroused, over a Thomas Jefferson quote that suggests 
one of the reasons to have an armed citizenry is as a means of defense against a tyrannical government, which is true, not a joke. No, not a joke. Think about it, guys. It's not a joke. Not a joke. It's no joke. Not a 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 joke. Now, though Biden always says this incredibly hyperbolically and in a way that would suggest that anyone defending the Second Amendment or simply acknowledging its purpose as a hedge against a government who no longer feels compelled to serve at, with the consent of the governed must mean that that person has some kind of bloodlust that leads them desperate to find a reason or even perhaps just a convenient excuse to go to war with the federal government. And so this brings us to his final uh, main talking point. And that is that these people, uh, he insists, are actively trying to instigate a shooting war with the federal government and that those who do it are foolish because to go to war with the federal government would require F-15s and nuclear weapons. Tree of Liberty is not water in the blood of patriots. What's happened is that there have never been, if you wanted to think you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. And so, therefore, uh, Joe Biden's argument goes, an AR-15 would never be powerful enough of a weapon to use to resist the government. Now, for one thing, it's, uh, at least I guess it's good to know just how many uh, Democrats are completely comfortable with the idea of using nuclear weapons against their own people who may dare to offer any resistance to a moral or unconstitutional policy, because this is a point that we have heard before from other politicians, including Eric Swalwell. The evidence is uncontradicted that the president used taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help him cheat an election. And the complaint that I've heard from... Diane Not-So-Feinstein. We have federal regulations and state laws that prohibit hunting ducks with more than three rounds. And yet it's legal to hunt humans with 15-round, 30-round, even 150-round magazines. And even Beta O'Rourke. And certainly uh, others, too, have expressed a similar willingness uh, to use, uh, you know, nuclear weapons, uh, uh, you know, fighter jets against the will of the people who they are supposed to be subordinate to. Well, the Democrats. So essentially here, Joe Biden's position is that in this one short part of his speech, at least, what he is saying is that AR-15s, which, if you will remember, the Department of Justice and Homeland Security define as personal defense weapons in a civilian context, need to be made illegal because these guns have no value as a personal defense weapon in a civilian context, and that these weapons are so powerful that they must be uh, considered weapons of war 
whose only legitimate function could possibly be on a battlefield with other weapons of war, uh, such as uh, like an F-15 or a nuclear weapon. And at this point, Joe pivots and says, but Americans don't need AR-15s because resisting the government would require the use of weapons of war like F-15s and nuclear weapons. And now all of a sudden, AR-15 are not weapons of war and therefore useless in a battle. Now, I think perhaps what I find uh, the most confusing uh, about these contradictions here is why they only ever really seem to make these points when addressing Americans. Because perhaps had he mentioned uh, that these so-called assault weapons would have been completely inadequate for going to war against the United States, uh, the Taliban wouldn't have been so foolish as to go to war against Americans armed only with AK-47s. And in that case, the United States wouldn't have lost a war against people armed with these mere so-called assault weapons. Same thing goes for uh, the Vietnam War. Maybe if we had bothered to tell the Vietnamese that they would lose the war uh, to begin with, that we wouldn't have lost the war because they were facing us with these inadequate assault weapons. Had they known that these weapons were in completely uh, you know, inadequate to take on the government, they wouldn't have used them and wouldn't have won the war against the government. So this is to say that Joe Biden's point about the inadequate nature of AR-15-style rifles against the United States is, just like all of Biden's views regarding gun control, all fail and no anchor. Now, there's one last point that I want to address here, and frankly, it's the one I find most, most disgusting. So if you remember at the very end of that clip, uh, what he said was, think of the rationale. It's about money, 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 money. Now, look, I can respect the fact uh, that some Americans have a different opinion about the value of gun ownership, even if I entirely disagree with their point. But look, I recognize that many people genuinely believe that more gun control would reduce gun-related violence, mass shootings, things like that. So to be clear, this is not a courtesy that I would extend to someone like Joe Biden or other figureheads of the gun control movement, uh, like, you know, a Michael Bloomberg or a Dianne Feinstein. They are liars. What's it like to be a liar? Huh? Do you like being a liar with pants constantly on fire? Oh, and surely they know what they are saying is wrong, but continue to say it anyway. You got me now. You got me now. You got me now. Oh, you figured me out. You fucking income fucking poop. You figured me out. You got me red-handed. You got me red-handed. But my point here is, is I don't think that is the case for most people. If you happen to be listening to this humble little podcast of mine right now, and you're someone who tends to favor gun control, 
I don't doubt that it is because you believe that we would be better off with stricter gun control laws. And my default position with someone like that would be one of respectful disagreement. However, what I cannot respect is what Joe Biden is talking about here uh, when uh, gun control advocates will completely disregard the sincerity of those they disagree with. Essentially, they will pretend that no one who is advocating for gun rights actually believes in what they say and that pro-gun politicians are only pro-gun because they have been bribed into that opinion by the NRA as though if the NRA stopped lobbying to a friendly candidate, these politicians would immediately switch sides because none of them actually believe gun rights are important and the NRA is nothing more than a stooge of gun manufacturers who are using the NRA as a front to basically legally bribe politicians. Now, what this argument clearly and completely disregards is the fact that more than half of all Americans are gun owners. And more than anything else, groups like the NRA or, or others like GOA, FPC, Second Amendment Foundation, there's a lot of great people doing this kind of work. And the funds that they get the vast majority of them are coming from the hundreds of millions of gun-owning Americans who are paying membership dues to these organizations and often making further donations to these organizations for several reasons, one of which is that these gun rights groups use a portion of that money on behalf of their members who want to do what we can to ensure our civil liberties are protected and we would much, much rather do that through the peaceful route of utilizing representative government to make sure that they uphold their oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. As opposed to the alternative option, which, despite what Joe Biden says, is an option that I assure you every single gun owner and gun rights advocate hopes we never have to choose. And furthermore, Joe Biden's insistence that the money gun rights groups raise and spend is all merely some kind of corrupt bargain on behalf of gun manufacturers also ignores the fact that the vast majority of the money that flows into these organizations gets used to fund training and education program. Because gun owners want a safer country than we have just as much as non-gun owners. The difference is, we believe, and with good reason, I would say, I might add, you know, uh, that creating a safer country will not come from robbing people of their civil liberties. Instead, it will come from a nation of safe, informed, and responsible gun owners. And it is for this reason that we believe that this country will be far safer if, instead of simply trying to ban guns, we take responsibility as gun owners to be as safe and proficient as we possibly could should we ever find ourselves in a situation where the only option we have is to resort to defending oneself with a firearm. Now, I think, I, and I really think this, uh, this was something that I thought too uh, before I was 
uh, pro Second Amendment person that I, I think a lot of non-gun owners would be genuinely surprised to what degree those of us immersed in uh, gun culture, uh, I guess you could call it, just how much we demand uh, this kind of safety and proficiency, not only from ourselves, but from other gun owners. And this is why the majority of the money donated to guns right groups goes to education and training. So if these groups' only purpose was to use their money to bribe politicians into supporting gun rights, why would they only spend a fraction of the money they receive to lobby for gun rights? They could spend it all that way, but they don't. And especially uh, if they were acting, uh, as someone like a Joe Biden would claim, solely in the interest of gun manufacturers as opposed to gun owners. The vast majority of money that gun rights groups have uh, and spend isn't coming from gun manufacturers. It is coming from individual dues-paying members giving these civil rights groups money to use on our behalf for a number of important purposes. Included among those is lobbying politicians to protect our right of armed self-defense. To pretend all this really is, is big business bribing politicians to support positions that these politicians would never otherwise support is incredibly disrespectful in its assumption of somehow strictly insincere motives among all the millions of Americans who are making an honest claim about an issue we truly believe in for reasons we clearly state. Not for those reasons simply imagined into existence by people like Joe Biden. All right, well, that is going to do it for me here today on Legalese. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, if you liked the video, go ahead, hit that little like button down there. If you disliked it, hit the dislike button. Uh, if you want to see more of my videos, uh, definitely subscribe to the channel. Don't forget to check out some of my links down in the video description. Uh, and so uh, until next time, uh, I'm just signing off. This is Bob for Legalese talking about gun control. And of course, as always, Cartago de Lenda Est. Fucker